I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Homeless shelters have long been regarded as a critical bridge between homelessness and housing. They became a stopgap solution in the 1980s when the modern era of mass homelessness emerged. But now, shelters have become more controversial. As the homelessness crisis in California continues to worsen and the debate over the right solutions intensifies, the traditional model of the homeless shelter has had to expand, especially during the pandemic. Chronicle housing reporter Lauren Hepler joins me to talk about how California has struggled with its homeless shelter strategy and the ways that cities are reconsidering their relationships to shelters. Are they reliable temporary solutions or just a costly diversion from affordable permanent housing? What do unhoused people say have been working and what hasn't? Lauren Hepler, thanks for joining me. Hi, Cecilia. Thanks for having me. So, Lauren, when Governor Gavin Newsom was mayor of San Francisco in the early 2000s, he proclaimed his desire to make shelters a thing of the past. He said they weren't a solution to homelessness. Housing is. But that clearly didn't pan out. What's happened? I mean, the short answer is a lot has happened. Mm -hmm. It took a lot to get to this point, including some historical things. Like we know that wage growth has slowed down over time. People are making less money. And meanwhile, it costs a lot more to rent a place now than it did in the past. Like we're talking 68 bucks an hour or more to pay the the going kind of two bedroom rent in San Francisco, according to one recent study. There have also been some things that impact certain groups of folks, like a closure of state mental hospitals over time. And we know that there are sort of these holes in the safety net. But what that has ultimately led to is an estimate this year that 20,000 people will experience homelessness in San Francisco alone. And it used to be kind of considered a problem for for single men, but we now know that it impacts families, it impacts women, seniors, LGBTQ people at extremely high rates. So it's just become a much broader problem. And there still is this agreement that it's ultimately a housing issue, but we also know that it takes years to build in California. So that's kind of left us with this even more pressing question of what do we do in the meantime? And shelters have long been used as a solution to California's homelessness crisis. How has the definition of shelter changed over the years? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Shelters have become really common since at least the the 1980s, which is kind of pegged as the beginning of the the modern age of homelessness anyway, when it's really an issue driven by unaffordable housing. And there used to be this very strong association with what people might think of as kind of like a Salvation Army type of model where you've got bunks or cots in kind of a, a congregate or a group setting kind of envisioned as shorter stays for people to get back on their feet, uh, sometimes seasonal, like open during the colder months. But over the years, that's changed as homelessness, like we said, has become a much more widespread challenge. So you've now got more identity-based facilities, especially in places like San Francisco, where there might be smaller group settings for high-risk women or LGBTQ people uh, with young people and families. There's a lot of these types of models. So it's something that has evolved over the years and, as we can talk about, really changed a lot during the pandemic. So, Lauren, now when we say shelter in the Bay Area, what are we commonly referring to? 
So it's a really wide net these days. It can be anything from a sanctioned tent city like we've seen in San Francisco, Sausalito, Santa Cruz, all over the place where you have cities actually buying a standard type of tent from like an REI or somewhere. Often they'll put them on a wood pallet to get them off the ground and folks are living in like a parking lot or another outdoor kind of open space. Similarly, we've got these safe parking lots uh, where folks, if they do have their own vehicle, like an RV or a car, are maybe living there with some on-site services like power or uh, communal bathrooms. And we've also got these more individualized kind of things that have come online, like motel rooms uh, were talked about a lot during the pandemic. And as we can discuss more, you've got tiny home startups now focusing on contracts for, for homeless housing. There's also temporary apartments and then definitely still the types of larger scale shelters that we were just talking about. And again, this all points to how fast this issue has been evolving and just this kind of acknowledgement that there need to be more options. There's just not a lot of agreement on which should be kind of the focus. Mm. And for unhoused people that do find themselves in sort of the traditional shelter system, what have been their experiences? Do they have common complaints? Yeah. So for this story in particular, my colleague Raheem Hosseini spoke with a person who described their experiences at multiple shelters in San Francisco as ranging from kind of like middling to traumatic. At worst, they describe having to fend off sort of harassment, like advances that were made on them. I've also interviewed people who talked very vividly about a fear of physical violence or theft in settings where the workers themselves may have been on the edge of homelessness. These aren't um, typically high paying jobs and, and some clients may be in need of more intensive services for, for substance use, for mental health challenges. So no one's saying it, it's sort of like an easy thing to operate a shelter, but for folks who are in the situation of trying to figure out, okay, what is my next move? It often becomes a question of, okay, well, is this shelter better than the street? And what will actually set me up to sort of make progress and get out of here into stable housing when we know that stable housing is in such short supply in the Bay Area? Mm-hmm. And many California cities, including San Francisco, have initiated right-to-shelter proposals, which have been pretty controversial. What are they, and why is it contentious? Yeah, so that term, a right-to-shelter, that is, is often associated with New York City, where it's a legal requirement for the city to offer a shelter bed for every homeless person. And, and there, there have been their own issues um, that you saw during the pandemic with crime, safety concerns. Um, but it's an idea that's been coming back in California cities from San Francisco to Sacramento. And largely it's because of a 2018 court case. It's called Martin v. Boise. You'll probably hear about it if you follow this issue. And what that did was put some limits on when cities are able to clear or sweep encampments. It said they must offer an alternative shelter. So in recent months, as encampments became a more acute, a more visible issue during the pandemic, you've seen proposals like San Francisco Supervisor Rafael Mandelman's A Place for All ordinance, which would have laid the groundwork to require people who are sleeping outside to accept whatever shelter is offered. He talked about it in terms of using, quote, the political will 
to use shelter to resolve encampments. And ultimately, there was a lot of backlash to that idea um, based on what activists said was kind of a guise to make it easier to clear encampments. So instead, what was ultimately passed this summer was kind of a, a pared back version of that bill, which essentially will kick off like a three year effort to explore this issue a bit further. But I think it's a conversation that we're going to see in a lot more cities as as there's just kind of this sense of like, where do we go from here at, you know, whatever phase of the pandemic we now find ourselves in. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Speaking about clearing homeless encampments, we've covered that on the show before. They're pretty controversial. Most recently, we've talked about Oakland's largest Wood Street encampment. City officials often insist that they offer shelter options to encampment residents, but they say that often doesn't materialize. What does that say about how the state is handling shelter options? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I've sat firsthand and observed several encampment clearings. Um, Like I'm thinking of one in San Francisco that was under the freeway this past winter. And it really is a situation that can feel like you're just looking at like two alternate realities. On one hand, I've got officials from state agencies like Caltrans um, and then the local city, in that case, it was San Francisco, who are insisting to me, we've had social workers out here for several days who have walked around offering shelter and folks aren't accepting it. But then when I talk to the people whose tents are being destroyed, they'll look at me and say like, why would I be staying here if if that was true? They'll say maybe I was given a phone number or a kit with food or hygiene supplies, but I was not given an immediate shelter space. So sometimes when you push a bit harder, folks will say, well, there was maybe an offer to go to a shelter that was like a big group shelter that I didn't feel safe in, or maybe it was moving to an outdoor tent city, which again, it's like if you already have a tent community, how much of an upgrade would that be? So It's this really tense situation that you end up in a lot of times where folks are saying, no, I'm not being offered what officials say they're offering me or what is being offered just really does not meet sort of like basic needs. And what about non-traditional shelter options, things like sanctioned tent cities, which you mentioned, tiny homes or motel rooms? Have they been seen as better options? Yeah, so there's one longtime homeless advocate in San Jose, Jennifer Loving, who's the CEO of Destination Home. And as she put it to me, she said, tiny boxes are the new black during the pandemic. And there's good reason for for why you're seeing more funding and political interest in those types of solutions, because they do offer more immediate dignity, kind of privacy. They were especially relevant when you have an airborne disease like COVID circulating, But the concern for homeless advocates is that it can become kind of an either or proposition with long term housing. Like, should we be we know there's a lot of money available for homeless solutions. So it's like, do you dedicate that to building really expensive permanent housing like new apartments or do you pump that into tiny homes? And it's not Mm -hmm. just money, but it's sometimes even more important, the political will that's being expended because just how we've seen in the past that Bay Area neighborhoods, there might be backlash to new permanent apartments being built. There's also now 
fights going on in cities like San Jose. It's also happened in Oakland and other areas over where an outdoor sanctioned encampment should be located. So it just becomes this issue where people are feeling fatigued and it's like, what is really the best way to use that time and that energy and those resources? Is it these short-term, more experimental things or is it the longer-term affordable housing? And that's where advocates worry that it's a really tricky balance to get right. But what do residents say? I mean, do residents of tiny homes like that option? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I I went to one experimental community up in Petaluma. It's called the People's Village. And it's actually a tiny home community that's located right outside a traditional homeless shelter. So it's kind of this interesting dynamic where you get to see both models kind of back to back. And I spoke with a resident there. His name is Bradley Brown. He was from Humboldt and had had freely admitted that he had been on a a six-year really long, really hard stint of of bad luck and challenges after a death in the family sent him into what he described as kind of a nosedive of dealing with mental health challenges, uh, incarceration, like really going through the ringer. And immediately before he moved into the tiny house, he had been living at an outdoor encampment in Petaluma. And he said, you know, the, the biggest thing is that living in a space of your own gives you something to lose. His space was really beautiful. It had Van Gogh poster. It had his Vans sneakers, like very neatly lined up along the walls. Um, And for him, that stability, uh, he said, was really key to getting a retail job at a a nearby dollar store. Um, He was working to clear some past warrant that was outstanding in another county. And for him, he's right now uh, expecting to move into long-term housing at the end of the year. So it really did prove sort of like a a really helpful kind of landing pad for him to to get back on his feet in a way that he had not been able to in the past. So it definitely depends on on the people you're talking to. And again, obviously, there's a, a finite number of these, like not everyone can just sign up for a tiny home to move in. So some positive experiences with things like tiny homes, but this debate over the right kind of shelter continues. What do you think cities are exploring right now? Where does this debate go from here? I think we'll definitely see more of these kind of pilot projects like the one in Petaluma where you've got folks coming in, they're allowed to stay for longer in these individual spaces to try to get back on their feet. And by the way, there's like a whole cottage industry popping up here. I went to one tiny home factory for an upstart called Quickhaven in the North Bay. And they're literally churning these things out for Petaluma, for Portland. I think they had a whole range of cities. There's a company called Pallet that has worked with Oakland. They make structures out of wooden pallets. So I think you'll continue to see people working in that space. But there's also the the question of, you know, the politics here. So I mentioned the the right to shelter ordinance that had resurfaced in San Francisco. This will actually go to the ballot in November in Sacramento. There's a measure there called Measure O that's been bankrolled by an executive from the Sacramento Kings and a lot of big business figures in that city that would set a minimum number of shelter spaces that would need to be provided. And again, as written, that could be any kind of shelter, like outdoor, Mm -hmm. indoor, it's not very clear. And then uh, the city would be able to step up clearings of encampments. So it will be interesting to see how voters decide on that. So it's a fast moving issue for sure that I think you'll see decided at the ballot box, in courts, in these experimental settings. But I think in all of those instances, we're going to continue to see a lot of things changing very fast. 
Lauren Hepler covers housing for The Chronicle, her story about California's relationship to homeless shelters, written with Kevin Fagan and Raheem Hosseini, is online now at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. There you can also find Lauren's reporting on Measure O. That's the Sacramento ballot measure she mentioned, which would allow the city to clear homeless encampments and require homeless people to move into shelters. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 